Iceberg, it's all on the surface, baby. Episode 8, I believe it is, May 19th, 2021. Your host this week, myself, Lee. Thank you all for uh, for sticking it out last week as we had an impromptu week off. Reed was on holidays doing a little golfing. I had a whole mess of shit to deal with uh, from getting my first uh, vaccination shot to buying a new vehicle to starting to clean up the, uh, the house and the yard here as spring is fully upon us. Uh, we go from days where it's a high 18, low 6, high 22, low 6, to 31 degrees uh, Celsius, low 23, thunderstorms for a full week. Things are getting fucked up. Uh, across the prairies, I know there's some snow, there's some some fun weather uh, working its way across. I know in our own province of Manitoba, here while I'm experiencing a 28 degrees muggy and rain uh, that in the north part of the province, uh, they're getting a blizzard or something like that. So, uh, I'll take what I can get. Did turn the AC on. I don't know if that's a thing in other climates. Uh, when, when you have that shift between using your furnace and using your air conditioning. And it becomes a uh, sort of a point of pride to have not turned your air conditioning on. To be able to uh, work your curtains and doors and windows in your house. To cool it at night and then capture that cool air uh, to, to hold you through, but you know what, fuck it, uh, it's the future, and uh, let's uh, let's flip on that, it's the future, as in the last hundred years, let's flip on that AC, and just be comfortable about it, you know what I mean? Uh, so everything's good, everything's well, other, other than the podcast being a day late, public beta podcast this week will also be a day late, it'll be coming out on Friday, we do not have a featured game uh, to announce just yet, but we will be doing another grab bag episode, and we have plenty to talk about as I continue to work my way through Days Gone, I got a bunch of weird stuff. Uh, on, on my little schedule thing here I have for uh, for the Tits the Iceberg podcast. Uh, wh- where to begin? I know I have something on my phone saved, and I don't even remember what it was. Oh, here it is. Students jailed for exploiting KFC app glitch. You know how we love app glitches uh, here on the program. Uh, 30-month sentence for Jiangsu Man, uh, who discovered a loophole allowing him and his friends to purchase over $30,000 worth of free meals was reduced since he had turned himself in and received the fast food chain's forgiveness. Gotta ask forgiveness from the colonel uh, for your transgressions. The Shanghai court has sentenced five university students to up to two and a half years in prison each for exploiting a technical glitch uh, to defraud fast food chain KFC by more than 200,000 won, uh, which is around $30,000. Uh, Six Tone's sister publication, this is from Six Tone, by the way, the thing I'm reading, uh, The Paper reported Tuesday. Good name for a uh, web publication, The Paper. Uh, in April 2018, a university student in the eastern Jiangsu uh, province, surnamed Su, uh, or Zhu, uh, discovered a bug while placing an order on KFC's mobile app by switching between the app and the restaurant's official account on WeChat. He realized he could generate endless coupons allowing him to order meals for free. What kind of coupon? I, what kind of coupon gives you something for free? There should usually be some kind of buy-in, right? Get one, get one free? No. Overjoyed that he had stumbled across this loophole, uh, Zood began uh, selling discounted KFC meals to others and shared his discovery with four classmates. Entrepreneur right here. On October of 2018, Zoo had cost Yum China Holdings, the company that operates KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell restaurants in the country, uh, 58,000 won, uh, while his four classmates had each cost the company between 9,000 and 47,000 won. According to uh, Zuhu, this is really good for uh, my pronunciation of, uh, of Chinese nouns. According to Zuhui uh, District People's Court, by exploiting 
asynchronous data processing the five students had done more than merely exploit a loophole being fully aware of this bug the convicted deliberately engaged in false transactions and illegally profited from them which constituted the crime of fraud don't fuck around in china they have a social credit system you don't just go to jail you are banned from using the bus and shit like that over there uh when that happens to you if they if they don't like if you give the government some reason uh, to doubt your character or dislike you, man, they got they got things they can do to you. Uh, uh, China's criminal law stipulates that fraud may be punished by up to three years in prison or up to ten years for serious cases involving large sums of money. Uh, you know, as much as we give credit to our criminals over here in North America, and that was a weird statement. As much as we, uh, you know, think they're they're badass guys, uh, you know, rough and tumble. Uh, you know, fighting the law, get, getting their piece of the pie, whatever, the, the romant, romanticizing of criminals. Doing crime in Asia, if you are caught, is is so much more dangerous. Like, the the bare minimum, like, like drugs, for example, when people are joking about, like, oh, sneaking edibles into Japan to go to Super Mario Land in Osaka. Uh, you as a foreigner, never mind someone who, who lives there, being caught bringing in drugs to a country like that you you don't get to go back to that country and you may very well end up serving time in that country they do not fuck about uh with matters like this so uh fucking watch yourself if you ever go over there don't it's not worth it uh follow you're in another place follow their rules for god's sake uh the uh the shanghai court also noted that zoo had taught others how to commit fraud which is separately punishable by up to five years in prison that's that's really bad news. Uh, but because Zhu had turned himself in, confessed to his crime, confessed to his crime rather, and earned KFC's forgiveness by paying the the compensation to the company, his potential five-year sentence was reduced by half, and he was fined just six thousand won. His uh, four classmates, meanwhile, were sentenced to between fifteen months and two years in prison, and fined one thousand to four thousand won each. The the real sad part here is is doing the year or two years in prison during your prime college years what what that does to you and like i said the social credit system in china when they when they leave prison i'm assuming that isn't the end of it they haven't paid their debt to society they will be very low on the credit system and like i said uh not be able to 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 do everything uh, they want to do uh the case was a viral topic tuesday uh, from several weeks ago on chinese social media uh that's where you want to be chinese social media uh, some said KFC's technology department uh, should bear partial responsibility for failing to detect and fix the bug immediately, while others felt that the students should have applied their ingenuity and entrepreneurial spirit more judiciously. Okay, shit. Okay, well, sorry to hear about that, about the jail time, because you found a way to get free fried chicken. Uh, could you imagine defrauding a fast food chain so deliberately and for so long that the the crushing guilt, like oh man, I got to get out of this this double down game. I gotta I gotta throw myself to the the um, the kindness of the colonel and hope that he he forgives me. Uh, the the KFC representatives should just have to hold their hand in a vat of of frying chicken uh, for for their transgressions of fucking up that that coupon in that app. Who wouldn't tell a friend about that? Uh, I guess again, here you have. You're over in China and you figure this out. Maybe don't tell a friend. Uh, but over here, who who wouldn't find out that if you go between the app and a another app uh, and found a a way to defraud them and get that free food that you wouldn't you wouldn't just fucking do it, man? I can't hold that against him at all. 
And a good friend for making some cheddar, unfortunately, uh, was all for naught, and he's probably fucked up his life, thanks to KFC. Anyways, speaking of uh, fucking up your life? No, that's not where I want to go with... That's not the segue I wanted. Uh, let's talk about Twitch. Twitch is mostly awful. Uh, in, in, like, the other day, uh, my wife compared something that Twitch was doing to, to something more favorable that YouTube was doing. And if you're pointing to Google and YouTube as the example of doing it right, you've got, you've got problems. Hot tub streams. Hot tub streamers. You know about them. You're on the internet. You're listening to my voice. You know what I'm talking about right now. Uh, Twitch basically overnight, uh, like like the Israeli IGN, just pulling all the punches. Uh, Twitch has taken away uh, the ability to make money off of ads on on hot tub streams. Um, fuck it. So the everybody said this was coming. Everybody said, how long can this how long can this endure before uh, Twitch or their advertisers or someone pulls the plug, pulls the drain plug on the hot tub stream and when i say hot tub i'm of course meaning the term very loosely if you've been living under a rock if you don't know what i'm talking about scantily clad women and men uh sometimes or groups of people if 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 you will uh hanging out in a hot tub doing a stream doing the normal twitch stream thing just in swimwear in a hot tub pretty soft core if you ask me uh i've i've seen people wear Far more revealing things than bikinis on uh, Twitch streams before, but here we are. Uh, so you have Twitch, which is 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 not OnlyFans, which has really weird uh, kind of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking conservative views on sexuality and things of that nature on there. You know the algorithms that they've programmed these robots to detect tits and destroy them, uh, etc. So people thought this was coming. People thought that Twitch would make a move. They would let everybody know, hey, you know this is this is not what this platform is. Uh, there are other platforms for this, please go make your money over there, uh, kind of thing, and, uh, instead of doing that, instead of there being a a appeal process, or a heads up of any kind, they basically just decided to come in, swoop in, and, uh, take away people's, uh, livelihoods, in the middle of the night? Yes, uh, streaming in your bikini is a livelihood, fuck you, uh, if you can make money doing it, good on you, if it's safe, if you, uh, you, you're capitalizing on, uh, let's, let's just, let's just extend this to sex work of any kind. Uh, if it's, it's above the table, if you're making that money, if you are safe, if you are willing to do it, that is your prerogative. Of course, the platform you choose to do it on has the, the ability to, to cut you off. You're not on Pornhub. You're not on OnlyFans. This is, this is something that anybody can, can come across. This is something that has been going on for, for weeks, if not months. And yes, it is their prerogative to tell you... Uh, maybe maybe cool it on the uh, the the baby pool in your in your living room. Uh, I don't think uh, by any measure that they have rights to call someone a partner to make money off of a person and then decide no we're gonna pull the plug on you because of how you decide to interact with our platform. That seems absolutely wrong. What would be a reasonable heads up? I don't fucking know. I don't know if it's a week or a month, but doing it without any notice is not. Uh, the answer absolutely twitches in the wrong on this. I have a uh, an article here from Kotaku, which is my source for Twitch hot tub streamer news outside of Sumeto on YouTube. Uh, yeah, so it just goes on to to talk about the the hot tub meta here, talking about the controversy there around. Uh, it, it's listen, it's just it's just kind of fun. I don't think, obviously, without any 
dialogue without Twitch coming out and saying that they're changing something in their terms of service. You give someone an inch and they take a mile for every person that is working within their current terms of service and doing these hot tub streams. I'm sure there are people who are pushing the boundaries, but we don't know about them. We don't hear about them. Sure, it's out there. And the issue here is what? Thinking that the advertisers will see one of their ads running during a hot tub stream they are running and, and be upset about it. Um... Man, I don't know, but uh, let's uh, let's all move over to to Instagram, OnlyFans, YouTube. I don't, I don't I don't fucking know what what do you where do you go from here? Um, what are you Twitch? What can you do on Twitch? What what what's the plan? What is uh, the ball is in your hot tub? Listen, what part of the pandemic have I reached? Well. Uh, I find myself sometimes in the evening not not really wanting to do anything other than just surf Netflix. And uh, there's a lot of garbage on Netflix. Sometimes they add something new. When I say new, I mean old. And in this particular case, I mean very old. Uh, when I noticed that Weird Science uh, had popped up on there. 1985's Weird Science, John Hughes, Weird Science. Uh, so I checked that out. I am not a huge fan of the movie Weird Science. If you're not familiar with Weird Science, two losers... And I use the term very loosely as they were living in their parents' multi-million dollar house uh, in the Chicago suburbs, I believe, in this movie. Uh, Gary and Wyatt decide to make a girl uh, using loose science uh, in this movie. I believe in the in the TV series, which I'm a much bigger fan of, that came out like a decade after the movie. Uh, they, they It's just computers. They, they make a computer program that comes to life, like a genie. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie at all, a genie is the best way to compare it. Only, it's more of a bedazzled... Uh, with Brendan Fraser kind of uh, situation where the, the the genie is is snide and trying to teach them a lesson. The genie, of course, is is a gorgeous woman uh, in the the original played by Kelly LeBron uh, in the uh, TV show played by Vanessa Angel. Both uh, actresses that you would you would recognize if you saw them, but maybe wouldn't be able to spit out a bunch of stuff they've been in outside of of Weird Science. In the original, we have Anthony Michael Hall as Gary Wallace, and we have. Uh, Island Mitchell Smith as Wyatt Donnelly and uh, Bill Paxton, of course, IP as uh, as Chet Donnelly. There, S- some of the lines, some of the uh, the quotability of Weird Science cannot be denied. It's a fucking weird ass movie, especially compared to some of the other stuff John Hughes was doing at the time. And I do fully recommend everybody see this movie. Um, there's a there's a lot of really horny, fun '80s things in here, such as there's no internet uh not not consumer grade internet if there was these fuckers would have it because they're living like i said in a mansion um but seeing a naked lady is not uh it's not as uh ubiquitous as let's say as it is now one of the first things they do when they create this this gorgeous computer genie lady is to both shower with her at the same time i don't know if that would be my call Maybe we take turns, we can fucking Rochambeau over it. I don't know that we both need to be standing there. Uh, it's, it's not like they're jerking off to her. Uh, they are They are simply just standing there witnessing this naked lady. And from a 2021 point of view, it's like, that's that's a strange first, first move. Um, but consider there is no internet, there is no pornography. You have to go buy a magazine from the store or, or put on a fake mustache and buy a movie or something like that. And even in that case, this person is not standing in front of you because you are loser nerds. Uh, if you're getting, getting picked on by Robert Downey Jr. and shit in this movie. Um, so, another thing, another trope from older movies that I notice, uh, it's like what I like to call the Pete Davidson effect, is if you are seen with a gorgeous woman, 
then other women will uh, flock to you. They will like you. They will think there is something about you uh, that you landed this gorgeous woman. And then they're just going to line up. And uh, ladies, uh, this sounds extremely sexist. And I'm sorry, uh, but this is a movie trope from the olden days. And like I said, we are seeing it still alive in real life now with someone like Pete Davidson. Are you saying Pete Davidson is this cool intellectual uh, that's, uh, you know... At, at what is he 25 uh cool to hang out with and has got a lot of cool stuff to say and then and, and is no he's he's someone who's probably very heavily into smoking weed has uh, fallen ass backwards into success with Saturday Night Live and has fucked a bunch of famous gorgeous women and will continue to do so based on the fact that he has fucked a ton of gorgeous women uh and that was that was a trope back then it was just like it doesn't matter that this genie lady uh, appear, so she can do anything. She can she can snap her fingers. She can wiggle her nose. She can do nothing. Uh, she can make other people perceive other things differently, uh, as is heavenly, heavily implied in this movie. She can make you see things. She can make tangible things real. Kind of the sky's the limit. And that's why I like the TV show so much more, because it was more 20, 25-minute chunks of just low-concept ideas of what what can... What if she turned them into girls so she knows what, so they know what it's like? That's an episode of the TV show. Uh, the movie doesn't really have the time in an hour and 30 minutes, back when movies were an hour and 30 minutes, a reasonable amount of time for a movie, uh, to explore all of the, those things. So really it gets down to the horniness right off the bat. And of course these two guys showing up at the mall or whatever, both of them, mind you, not one or the other, again, going back to the shower thing, it's like, oh man, Gary and Wyatt have been having crazy threesomes with this genie. Um... This gorgeous woman who clearly looks 10 years older than they are uh, is hanging out with them. And that's supposed to endure them uh, to their own peers, to their own uh, ladies, uh, etc. I believe there's also... So I uh, I was in and out of this. I was falling asleep. There's a subplot here where uh, this genie is going to take their V-cards or something like that. Uh, going to fuck Gary. I, I fell asleep in the middle of this movie, and I don't actually remember where they came. Obviously, there is a a, a a constant threat of having sex with this lady they've made. Uh, she calls, you know, they're her masters. Uh, so, you know, interesting movie. Check it out. Uh, I do recommend it. And if you can find the TV show, which I don't think gets syndicated or played anywhere. It had a few seasons. Um, where do I got it here? I, I, I managed to pick up the DVDs of this fucking show. Um, also, I must say... Uh, the Weird Science song, both the TV show and the movie, get a fucking ton of use out of it. Uh, I, I miss when movies had a killer theme song, and they're just like, we're just gonna, just gonna keep keep hitting it. Uh, Chet, da, da, da. Chet, the, the casting in the TV show is also very very good uh, overall. Um, everybody's cast a little older from the scenes of things, but I I just liked it. 1994 that fucking thing came out and lasted for uh, three to four seasons at least, I think. And uh, according to IMDb, is rated 0.2 higher than the movie. Of course, IMDb's ratings are meaningless with 99% of TV shows and movies falling within 5 to 7%, uh, the, the 5 to 7 mark, basically. Rotten Tomatoes is much better aggregate, I believe. That's it. That's all I want to talk about weird science. But that wasn't the end. That wasn't the thing I'm talking about, uh, reaching that point in, in the pandemic. Uh, I saw... The Netflix had Star Trek, the original fucking series. Now, let me tell you something about Star Trek. Everybody, everybody calm down. Listen, uh, I am a person who has never meaningfully watched Star Trek. And I'm talking about any Star Trek. I've watched uh, a lot of episodes of TNG in no particular order. Was never like a, a 
huge fan of it. Uh, I recognize that some episodes are much more engaging, much uh, just grip you more than others. There's a lot of filler uh, in these series, and I knew that if I ever was to watch Star Trek, which I thought would have been never, uh, that I it would it would behoove me uh, to do what every Star Trek fan has told me, which is go seek out a list of required watching, and then if you find those interesting enough, go just watch them in order after that. Uh, but make sure you you hit a few that will get you thinking uh, f- for a few days afterwards. And uh, so, let's just preface this: if you have not watched Star Trek before. I would like to think I have an interesting insight into the uh, the original series of Star Trek coming into a completely cold. If you are a Star Trek fan, I just want you to know that I really enjoyed uh, what I watched. And I've been thinking about it since I have and intend to go back and watch more. You may have won me over. Uh, the, my, my idea of Star Trek, the original series, and the camp uh, is the stuff that a lot of Star Trek fans keep uh, throwing back to as the reason not to watch Star Trek, the original series. But I say nay-nay to them. I say that that shit is, is what makes it so captivating to me is how much stuff they get really right and how much stuff is hilarious and they didn't think far enough in the future. Um, and we're going to talk about that now. Uh, so what I, uh, what I decided to watch as my first ever episodes of Star Trek is a two-parter, and it's called The Menagerie. Uh, I believe it's like episode 17 or episode 16 of the original series. It aired originally on November 17th, 1966. Wow. Uh, first of all, the look of this this show on Netflix looks great. Uh, the colors are really vibrant. Uh, it really stands out when they cut to just a zoom-in headshot of a, a actress, and they use like the margarine filter on it, really soft angles. Uh, Kirk's weird rape eyes he gives to every woman he possibly comes across, even if they will not have a romantic encounter later. Uh, He he implies uh, that, hey, if you play your cards right, you will fuck the captain of the Enterprise. Um, So, I have go-away heat with Spock, uh, just as a character. Uh, (laughs) I I find him frustrating, uh, but so do the other characters. Basically... I, I thought I hated Spock to the point where I just don't want to see him. Turns out that Spock is just a very complicated, uh, and actually, instead of go-away heat, has proper, uh, like, tweener heat uh, with me. And this was the perfect first uh, pair of episodes to watch, as he is sort of the villain uh, here in the plot. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me just hit you with the plot a little bit. So it is two parts. Uh, we basically start... It's uh, 2267. We get a nice map painting of, of Earth. Uh, what you know about Star Trek is, is about what I know about Star Trek. You know the main characters. You know the Enterprise. Uh, you, you got the idea that's more of an anthology that each, you know, you don't really have to watch the episodes in order per se. You can jump in on something and enjoy it just on its own. It turns out here that this is actually episodes 11 and 12 of the original series of Star Trek. And the first two-parter, I believe. Uh, the runtime of each is a full hour. It's 50 minutes each. Uh, so this is basically like watching a, a movie, albeit a very methodical... <laughs> There's not a lot of action. In the, a guy throttles an alien at one point, uh, which which happens a lot in, uh, in Star Trek. Um, anyway, it's 2267. The USS Enterprise arrives at Starbase 11 in response to a subspace call. First Officer Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, reported receiving from the former captain of the Enterprise, Christopher Pike, who's played by Sean Kenny. Uh, Christopher Pike is a character that you may know, even if you are only familiar with the J.J. Abrams 
uh, uh, iteration of Star Trek, Christopher Pike just most notably is the captain of the Enterprise before Kirk took over. Most of the bridge crew of the Enterprise when Pike was was captain is different. Of course, Spock was, was still there. Spock still served under him. Captain Kirk and Spock meet the Starbase commander, com- uh, who's Commodore Mendez. Uh, Mendez informs them that Pike could not have sent the message, as he is unable to move or communicate other than answering yes-no questions with the aid of a device operated by his brainwaves. Pike refuses to communicate with anyone except Spock after Kirk and Mendez leave to discuss the situation. Spock reveals over Pike's repeated no signals that he intends to carry out a plan uh, that he has made. So they they leave a little bit out here. Uh, Pike was pelted by some kind of space rays while trying to save children. Uh, so he ended up in this predicament as a hero. Uh, he, he selflessly... Now listen... He's in sort of a Professor Xavier um, wheelchair, kind of like a cool space wheelchair droid thing uh, that goes up to his neck, and he's fucked up. He his his face is completely disfigured. He has horrible burn marks. Uh, he can't really move. He can he can blink. I think he's still got his hair, uh, which is which is nice, uh, but he cannot communicate. He cannot move. He is in a, in a basically sub vegetative state here, except he can communicate yes or no, and the way he does that. Like it says, is uh, with his brainwaves, and he has a comical uh, yellow light on the front of this wheelchair, uh, just below his 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 neck, and it blinks once for yes and twice for no. Uh, this is communicated to the audience, and uh, then after that, it, it isn't really communicated. It's just that that's how he communicates. You know this now, and it's it's again, it's twenty two sixty seven, and the best they could do for this guy, uh, who's well off. He's he's not just a a, a regular civilian. Of, of the time, he is a, a ex-captain of the Enterprise, a decorated captain who, who saved... This is all they could give him. This is all they had. Uh, and, and therein lies the rub with all of this, is all the technology in this is... I love it. Uh, people say it's like, oh, it's really hard to, to... People are just flicking switches and lights are blinking. That sucks. I'm like, no, I love the ambiguousness of it. Uh, that you, you just don't know how that technology works, man. It's none of your none of your business. Uh, but then you know you can travel through space interstellarly. You can go to other planets. Uh, but when someone sends you a message, it comes through a printer like a fax. Stuff like that to me, where it wasn't just a message that would be thrown up on the screen. That of course later in later Star Treks they they future proofed it a little more, thinking that why would it print out on a piece of why would the Enterprise have paper at all? Uh, fuck it, no, that's fun. And you can explain it away by saying, no, that's re- that's re- renewable space paper. It uh, biodegrades uh, in this little chamber and becomes paper again. You can just reprint it forever. And what an idyllic society we have. Uh, they're working in 1966. So, again, you have to let that go and uh, enjoy it. Let it wash over you. And if you can watch this with someone else and kind of make fun of it throughout, make fun of those sorts of things throughout, uh, it's really worth it. And... Uh, and the plot here is already kind of intriguing. Spock's up to something. Something's up. Pike, uh, something, there's some kind of plan hatched here. Pike is is not down with it. What is going on? Meanwhile, Mendez, Commodore Mendez, confirms that there is no record of any message sent to the Enterprise. Mendez provides Kirk with classified information on the planet Talos IV, which was visited by the Enterprise previously under Pike's command in 2254. Uh, it is now under a strict quarantine. Spock, meanwhile, commandeers the Enterprise by means... Okay, so they jump... Uh, a ton of stuff here in this plot summary. I got to fill in some gaps here. So the way Mendez says this, and we later learn that Mendez is maybe not what he seems. I don't know what point that changes. If you've seen this before, you probably know what I'm talking about. But Mendez says 
that traveling to Talos IV is the only remaining death penalty in, in all the, so it's the future. We've we've moved past killing people for killing other people. Maybe we've moved past killing other people entirely, even though there's a lot of choking uh, and and hitting going on in this universe. Uh, we've we've moved past a lot of, of petty crimes. We've moved past putting people to death. Uh, we're probably re rehabilitating them, or crime just just doesn't exist. But you can do most anything in the Star Trek universe without worry of the repercussion being you'll be put to death, except for travel to Talos Four. Which immediately is like, oh, what the fuck is going on on Talos Four? That of anything in this in the galaxy, in the universe, that you could do, the only death penalty that remains on the books is traveling to Talos Four. Okay, I'm intrigued. So while this is happening, while uh, Scotty, I think it is, no, Hank McCoy is there with uh, with Kirk, and they are kind of discussing that. Well, Spock couldn't have just made that up. Spock wouldn't falsify that shit. It turns out Spock has figured out how to do sound alikes. He's got a series of colored, like, floppy disks that aren't. They look like Game Boy cartridges. I'll beat a little bigger. Spock has found a way to spoof voices. Uh, and via using an intricate series of recordings, Spock is able to commandeer the Enterprise uh, by falsifying Kirk's voice and uh, places uh, Pike under McCoy's care, uh, Hank McCoy, that is, the doctor, Bones, and orders the ship to depart the computer uh, under the computer's control. Kirk and Mendez give chase in a Starbase shuttlecraft. So so Spock is able to successfully Vulcan nerve punch, nerve pinch someone in the uh, engineering room and plays to the PA system. Listen. Holy fuck. Okay, this is great. So he's got this stack of tapes. And he's hot swapping them. As as people are talking to him over the radio, he is hot swapping these tapes, basically leading the the bridge to ask Spock, who will now be in command, what's going on. Spock completely con uh, consumes control of the Enterprise at this point. He sits in the captain's chair, and even though they think uh, everybody else is looking around suspiciously, uh, including Hake McCoy, who was asked back to the ship before it took off uh, with uh, with uh, Pike. Hey. Uh, Anyway, they leave Kirk behind. Uh, they, it's a mutiny. The, Spock has, has commandeered the ship, and uh, he is headed to motherfucking Talos 4. It's bad news, Spock. We, we just talked about why. So these two fuckers are in a shuttlecraft. After several hours upon learning from the computer that the shuttlecraft does not have enough fuel to return to the starbase, Spock has them brought aboard and then gives himself up, confessing to mutiny. Uh, so Spock and Mendez are in this shuttlecraft... Uh, they're talking about, hey, the, uh, this is pretty much an admission of guilt here. Spock has stolen your Enterprise. They are watching the Enterprise get further and further away from them. They pass the point of no return where the, the shuttlecraft can no longer return to Earth. So Kirk is basically hedging his bets that uh, Spock will not allow his friend to die here, believing that if if something is going on with Spock, uh, it, it is not... Uh, it is not more than their friendship or or worth the death of a, of a captain, even though... Mutining your captain and having him die while chasing you in a shuttlecraft is not uh, a death penalty. Traveling to Talos IV, as we learned, the only remaining death penalty. After several hours, uh, blah, 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 blah. The crew find they are unable to change the current course of the Enterprise, which Spock affirms is heading towards Talos IV. Mendez convenes a hearing at which Spock requests immediate court material. Uh, Marshall, sorry, uh, which requires three command officers. Kirk objects uh, only he and Mendez are available, but Spock notes that Pike is still listed for active duty. 
uh, as they couldn't find it in their hearts to officially retire him. Uh, the tribunal begins, and Spock offers as his testimony what seems to be video footage of the Enterprise's earlier visit to Talos IV in 2254. Uh... This is kind of interesting because what basically plays on the screen is an alternative episode of Star Trek. And they bring attention to the fact that like, I think Mendez asks like, oh, was there a documentary? Like was someone there filming this in this very strange way to present this style, like a TV show? And Spock's like, no. And then doesn't really elaborate on that. Uh, it makes sense, of course, in the end, uh, but, but doesn't really elaborate on what they are seeing or how they are seeing it. He simply asks that they watch. On the screen, the Enterprise arrives at Talos 4 in 2254 in response to a distress call from a survey ship Columbia, lost in 2236. Pike, uh, Spock, and the landing party beam down to the planet and find a number of survivors, including a young woman named Vina, who uh, was born shortly after the crash of the Columbia. Dr. Boyce, Pike's chief medical officer, uh, establishes that the survivors are all in perfect health, uh, despite the circumstances. Vina promises to show Pike the secret of their health and leads him to a rocky knoll. Two aliens emerge from the door, stun Pike, and carry him through the door. Vina, the other survivors, and their camp suddenly disappear. Pike has been abducted by the Talosians, humanoid aliens with the power to create illusions indistinguishable from reality. Reality distortion fields. So now you have to think of everything that has happened in the episode so far. We we have reality altering uh, beings in place here. Back in 2267, the scene is interrupted by a message from Starfleet Command, which reveals that the images they are have been viewing have been transmitted from Talos IV. Mendez is placed in command of the Enterprise, uh, but Spock begs Kirk to see the rest of the transmission. Okay, so. Spock's trial continues in part two. Uh, the transmitted scene resumes with Pike in 2254 in a cell with a transparent wall. The Talosians begin their experiment, which consists of a number of illusionary situations involving Pike and Vina. The Talosians' hope uh, is that Pike and Vina will mate and found a race of slaves who will reclaim the war-damaged surface of the planet. Meanwhile, the Enterprise crew fails to break into the underground complex with weapons enhanced by the ship's power. A landing party attempts to beam into the complex, but only the female members are allowed to in and, and arrive in, or, uh, in order, as the Talosian Keeper explains, to give Pike more choices for a mate. An attempt to blast through the cell wall with the new captive's phasers fails as the weapons are apparently non-functional. Note, again... That we are living in a world of illusion. Uh, that night, Pike is able to capture the Keeper as he attempts to confiscate the weapons. So, <clears throat> the two girls from the Enterprise here, they're able to be beam in. None of the males are, including Spock. Uh, the, the Keeper here is like, hey, uh, if you don't want to fuck Vina, who, by the way, is like a gorgeous blonde uh, 1966 actress, uh, played by Susan Oliver, I believe is her name, and uh, Pike is resisting. They keep showing him memories from his own life or idyllic situations where he and Vina are together. And they just, they just want him to pork Vina. That's all they want. But these two other ladies have shown up. And uh, by all means, uh, they, they, they give reasons why both of these ladies are, are completely fuckable. And uh, why they'd be good choices over Vina. Vina's a little upset about that. But... Uh, Pike, uh, of course, is, is still holding strong here. He he doesn't like being a captive. He very much wants to fucking leave. Anyways, uh, so Pike gets these two phasers and he tries to shoot. And they don't shoot. 
but he doesn't try to shoot, rather. He looks at the phasers and claims they are non-functional. He throws them in the corner. In the middle of the night, one of these Slosians, which, by the way, these Slosians are just uh, uh, basically uh, humanoid in robes, uh, throbbing big brain head, and that's about it. They uh, they communicate telepathically, but they can also speak English out loud. Um, basically just humans, different colored skin, a uh, little, little pale with the big head. That's what a Slosian is. This little motherfucker climbs through a secret tunnel into Kirk's room and uh, is just trying to take the Kirk through the phasers in the corner. So this alien is just crawling through a little tunnel to grab the phasers. But, but fucking Pike, he's too fucking fast. He, he dives on this Talosian and starts throttling him to death. Um, basically f- figuring out at this point that the phasers are not non-functional. Uh, that he was, he's being illusioned, uh, to think that these phasers are non-functional. In fact, they work. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. He forces the Talosian to reveal a hole in the cell wall. The, uh, humans proceed to the surface, but learn that this was the Talosian's plan. Number one here sets her phaser, uh, on overload, preparing to die rather than be enslaved. Uh, but deactivates the weapon when more Talosians arrive. The aliens have found that humans' unique hatred of captivity makes them unsuitable for the Talosians' plans of a race of slaves, uh, which must therefore be abandoned. Pike desires uh, an apology, but the Talosians point out that this failure spells the death of their species. Pike uh, offers help from the interstellar community, but the Talosians fear that their mental powers would spread and bring other races to ruin. As the rest of the party are beamed back to the ship, Pike is shown that Vina's appearance up to now has been an illusion. In reality, she is much older and was severely injured in the Columbia's crash. She elects to stay on the planet and Pike returns to the ship. So, mm. sorry, I need a little lubrication for the rest of this so <clears throat> the columbia crashed in 2236 uh she was the only survivor vena was vena explains that the Talosians uh didn't have any other intact humans to compare her to so when they put her meat back together i think that's more or less what she calls it uh they they had no frame of reference other than themselves who are mostly humanoid in nature uh but i digress uh, so she is like, a f- she's fucked up. They they put her together a little fucked up. She's much older than she appears, of course, having crashed in 2236, it now being 2267. Uh, you could argue that uh, how viable uh, is Vina in terms of uh, being the mother of a, a race of slaves and and the, co- the, the complications there that would stem from that. But uh, yeah, here we are. All right. Back in 2267, the transmission ends as the Enterprise arrives at Telos IV. Uh, of course, Vina elected to stay with them on the planet, um, with the Telosians, rather, and Pike returns to his ship. The transmission ends, Enterprise arrives at Telos IV, Commodore Mendez suddenly fades away, and the Keeper appears on the viewing screen, informing Kirk that Mendez's pre- presence was an illusion. He was never there. He was never on the shuttlecraft, even. The court martial was a ploy to buy time to bring Pike back to Talos IV, where, if willing, he would be able to enjoy the illusion of a normal life. A message from Commodore Mendez then advises that Starfleet fleet has waived the prohibition against contact with the planet for this one occasion, and that Kirk is free to proceed as he thinks best. Pike is transported to the planet, and the rejuvenated Pike and Vina are seen on the viewing screen, returning with the Talosians to an underground complex. The Keeper appears one last time to wish Kirk well. Um... Very fucking cool and very thought-provoking, uh, this this episode and how it kind of wraps up. Uh, so Pike 
obviously in the the flashback uh which we are to believe is the actual events uh pike did not uh pike is there and they're like pike is this what happened and he's like yeah that's that's it all right um and maybe it's also to convince pike himself uh as to what the 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 reality distortion uh that the the keeper and the Telosians are able to accomplish here is is very neat it's a cool thing to think about how all encompassing it is uh, not unlike uh, Lisa from Weird Science and, and how she's able to influence what people are seeing. There's a cool scene here between uh, Kirk and Spock where Kirk is basically confronting Spock saying, this was a fucking death sentence that you 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 put on us. And Spock's like, I mutinied the ship. It would only be on me. I did this the right way. It was completely logical. And you can't deny it. And Kirk just wants to punch this guy. But he's like, Spock, you motherfucker, you're absolutely right. Uh, so at this point, with the illusions, we have a horribly disfigured woman uh who is now several years older 13 years older than she was when pike last saw her uh so that let's let's further my thing about can this woman mother a uh, race of slaves is the race of slaves still in play uh is that what the telosians are still planning to do with pike and vena uh, so kind of bittersweet. You see the the original like young uh, attractive forms of Vina and Pike going back into that rocky knoll uh, to presumably just have sex forever, um, or at least believe they are in their minds. While the Telosians uh, presumably artificially grow humans outside of these two's bodies, there's a little strangeness uh, with with that plot and and thinking about that too much. But the idea that Pike was. Horribly disfigured to the point of, of not, uh, his quality of life is, is, is so shit, but Spock realizes via either discussion with Pike or, or how that kind of plot, uh, was hatched that there is a solution for, for Captain Pike and Spock is actually willing to bet his life on getting Pike back to the Telosians, uh, to live out the rest of his days or forever or however the Telosians are going to chop this up as Adam and Eve breeding a sub sub race of humans that will become the slaves of the Telosians, man fucking cool uh i really enjoyed this uh, like i said it's it's mostly a court proceedings with a flashback is is you're just sitting there with kirk and spock and a bunch of fake people that aren't really there watching uh this this other episode of star trek that isn't uh as to what happened and and these kind of proceedings this was really cool i paid complete attention to it i wasn't on my phone fucking around as people are, are tend to do uh the other the other episode that i started and i have not yet finished was uh the squire of gothos uh which if you are familiar with guardians of the galaxy 2 i guess as a a near comparison uh basically they find a planet uh sulu and kirk just disappear they get, like, just zapped onto the planet. They go there and find, like, a 18th century estate with a very eccentric man living there. Uh, and it's very clear that he is a magician of some kind. Uh, and I am uh, pretty sure he's omnipotent. Like, he's, like, a, a god or, like, a space... Like, a spa a powerful space wizard or omnipotent god or something like that uh, who chooses to live in those surroundings and uh, probably has something in 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 store uh, for, for the Enterprise crew. So, Star Trek. Who the fuck... Would have thought, uh, and I've been thinking about just just how it's shot. Like I said, the technology and how fun that shit is. Maybe it gets old after you see it a bunch of times. Maybe that's when you're like, man, that fucking fax machine again, eh? But I really 
really genuinely enjoyed my time watching this episode of Star Trek, and I, I plan to watch more. And if uh, this was at all interesting to you as either a Star Trek fan, hearing what a someone who knows nothing about Star Trek has to say, or someone who knows nothing about Star Trek like me, uh, if, if I will go on this journey the, to boldly go where no man has gone before, uh, so be it. I think I'm going to watch a little bit more of these uh, recommended episodes and uh, and get back to you. Right now, though, we got two weeks to catch up on uh, for AEW Dynamite. So without further ado... Oh, boy, to you guys, that was uh, like a 20-second intro. To me, it's been five hours since I recorded the first part. Sultans of Slam for Wednesday night, May 5th. 2021 this was the blood and guts edition of dynamite from daily's place in jacksonville florida uh we kicked this thing off with what was supposed to be kenny omega and nakazawa versus moxley and kingston however don Callis informs us <laughs> that omega will not be uh appearing and that the two men will instead have a handicap match against nakazawa they just want their hands on kenny but that's okay because kenny uh donnie brooks uh, i believe moxley it is with the uh the title and uh, the match does actually take place here. The Elite and the Good Brothers attack after the match. Uh, the Moxley-Kingston versus the Elite angle is is a bit... I don't know. It's a bit messy to me uh, based on the fact that uh, the Young Bucks themselves have a, another program uh, going on Dynamite at the moment. Uh, and and I'm never happy to see the Good Brothers, not really, uh, on Dynamite interfering in matches or or showing up to uh, to ham it up. And I, I guess that's heat. I guess I guess at the end of the day, that's heat. Uh, Don Callis, of course, on commentary, amazing as always. Uh, Nakazawa in his position here, fine if he's going to wear the headset and just carry Kenny's uh, titles around for him. Uh, but stop having him wrestle on part of the Elite. That doesn't make sense. Why would they, as the Elite, want to lose any match? Uh, if if they don't have to put put the good brothers are right there put one of those two guys in the match please thank you QT versus Cody Cody wins with a figure four here a go go attacks after the match and does the old gut punch this was fine QT and Cody as a, a program is fine it it like Cody's super over as babyface QT's just the the fodder here uh, I, I I don't know how emotional how invested people are in this in this uh, storyline or where it's going to spin out from here. I don't know if there's a a surprise planned for the pay-per-view that will will take this angle into a more unique or interesting uh, direction. Maybe something to do with Dustin. I have no idea. So we're just kind of waiting and seeing on this one. But a great match. Like, nothing against QT, the guys in his table, and their wrestling ability. There is no fucking problems there whatsoever. So this was a fun match. Marvez is with Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. Uh, they talk shit about Darby uh, until he strikes. Uh, after a tussle, Darby is thrown down a flight of cement stairs. Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, if anybody's going to be thrown down cement stairs, it's Darby Allen. Uh, but that doesn't mean you need to let him do that. Uh, any, This guy does pratfalls. He throws himself off stuff. When I was uh, a bit more svelte uh, in high school and in, in drama and theater and stuff like that, I was very good at pratfalls. I could throw my body and, and make it look like I fucked myself up and be completely fine. And it is a skill you can, you know, you get some scraped elbows and, and knees and, and uh, sore back once in a while. But it is something you can teach yourself to do. Uh, I, I think I've thrown myself downstairs before. Uh, not cement stairs, mind you. Um, but shit. I mean, it looked awesome. That That's not what we're talking about here. Obviously, it, it was... 
uh, saying it's worth it in retrospect because he didn't injure himself, I guess, is is true. But uh, goddamn, Darby. Wow. Britt Baker versus Julia Hart. Britt Baker wins in a squash here. Four-way tag. Uh, we get the Varsity Blondes, the Jurassic Express, acclaimed in SCU. Uh, these are the top-ranked tag teams. SCU is already uh, vying for the title, so I don't know why this match needed to take place, but SCU wins so all is well, and they will go on to fight the Young Bucks next week. Of course, they have the ongoing stipulation uh, that as soon as they lose, uh, Kazarian and Daniels will break up. Miro uh, cuts a promo here with Tony Schiavone, I believe it was. Uh, this is this is good. Uh, Miro is moving in a really good direction, and uh, having him solitary like this and, and what happens in the week after this uh, is great. Kenny Omega uh, basically talks about Pac, who will be his opponent, his number one contender. Orange Cassidy shows up uh, to talk some shit here. In as much as Orange Cassidy can. Kenny just, like, takes his glasses and steals them. Some some good heat here. Orange Cassidy is so over... There's people in the crowd uh, for, for this show and the show uh, after it. There's, there's more people in the crowd than I feel there has been. Like, it sounds like... Uh, you can hear those fans in a way you maybe couldn't previously, even when they're 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 putting that in in post. So, uh, Orange Cassidy is very much over, as is Dar- Darby Allen here. So, War Games, holy shit! Uh, go watch this. I guess I'm not gonna I'm not gonna break down the the match uh, whatsoever. Apparently, in this in this quick recap of AEW, I went too long with the Star Trek stuff, and my voice is already hoarse. But War Games was good. Um, I think they mostly booked the match. Uh, great, uh, you know, nothing too spectacular, nothing too over the top. Of course, this is more or less the finale of the first third of this feud based on what we can kind of uh, surmise now. Uh, but this was good. They had, sounded like everybody was over. There's lots of cool spots. Uh, nobody, as far as I know, was injured aside from Chris Jericho falling off the, uh, the top of the cage there at the end. The ending was 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 kind of a mess. There was a lot of commercial breaks. There was a very, uh, the pace just came to a halt when Chris Jericho was slowly getting to the top of that cage. Uh, of course, uh, MJF with the diamond ring. And uh, he's, he's going to push Jericho off the top of the cage unless everybody surrenders. And the inner circle, of course, uh, value Chris Jericho and his leadership and surrender. And then MJF pushes Chris Jericho off anyways. And he falls through uh, what we were told was was a steel stage, uh, which is clearly just plywood uh, with some, some metal over top of it and a crash pad. That's not the problem. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the spot is fine. The man got pushed off the top of the cage. He dislocated his fucking elbow. Uh, that's all good and great if this was a way to write Chris Jericho off of uh, the show until the pay-per-view, only he shows up in the next episode. So not only do you have a spot that people are criticizing for looking a little too safe, which is fucked up, like there's nothing wrong with this, the part where the announcers say uh, that it's metal, uh, and j- just maybe the camera angle it was it was filmed from, then maybe a wider shot would have been better. AEW's having a lot of trouble with these bigger stunts and the production end of it. Uh, either because they just aren't used to doing this stuff. They don't have the decades of experience of Shane McMahon jumping off of dumb shit like the WWE does. Um, I don't know if it's that. We all remember the explosion from the last pay-per-view. Uh, they need to nail something like this or stop doing it so people forget uh, about these these weird kind of botches. And it's a, it, it really sucks because the guy took the risk, fell backwards off a cage, which could must have been scary as fuck. Um you can hear him talk more about it on his, his own podcast, that is the Jericho Podcast, and that's, again, I only plug the episodes of the Jericho Podcast about wrestling or when he's interviewing wrestlers, because anything else on there is fucking bat shit. Uh, anyway, that was this episode of Dynamite. We go on now to May 12th, 
uh, which was this previous week. Uh, what's today? Wednesday? Okay, so there's another Dynamite that's about to happen. Uh, this one opens up with champion John Moxley with Eddie Kingston versus Blue Justice Yuji Nagata, accompanied by Ren Narita. Uh, this was for the IWGP US Championship. This was fantastic. John Moxley comes to the ring with Wild Thing. Did they listen to all of Wild Thing? They know that flute solo was coming up uh, because it was very distracting and not at all in keeping with the John Moxie character. I think if you did a doctored or not necessarily a cover version of Wild Thing, but but like kind of layered it a little bit, made it sound a little more metal, a little more rock and roll than it is, I think it would be good. Uh, as it stands, the thing I always remember when, when anybody gets new music is you think of wanting to hear that music hit and them coming out during some, something happening on a wrestling show. And if it was like, man, I hope Moxley shows up and you hear that, it would be okay. The problem with it is if you play it too long during an entrance, there are multiple flute solos. That fucking song that just don't, uh, fit the bill. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do. You could, you could... The benefit of having this done during an IWGP US Championship match is you can go back to John Moxley's regular music uh, the next time he comes out and you can just explain it away that that was his New Japan match music, that he plays Wild Thing for that. Um, that I, I think Wild Thing was released in the same year as that episode of Star Trek I watched. Hold on. Uh, Trogs. Wild Thing. Uh, my brain's weird for stuff like this. Making, uh, uh, April 1966. Okay. The Menagerie Star Trek wiki. I'm going to leave all this in. You're with me on this, Jordan. Uh, that was November of that year. So, interesting coincidence. And that's pretty much it. Uh, so Moxley retains here. This is a fantastic match, especially considering the advanced age of Yuji Nagata, who wants to wrestle well into his 70s. And watching a match like this, you believe it. Obviously, he's not as crisp, not as tight as uh, other wrestlers uh, many years his junior are. But he is able... The thing you cannot say about Yuji Nagata is that he is unable to do any of the things he tries to do. It's all... It's all good, baby. Um... And there's a show of, show of respect after this match that was uh, really, really neat as well. Uh, man, what a battle. What a pro wrestling match that we all witnessed together. Two warriors with great mutual respect, said Jim Ross. Inner Circle members Ortiz, Jake Hager, and Semi Guevara were interviewed by Alex Marvez. Evidently, uh, Jericho is injured. Santana has been detained for using a fork during the match, which is... It's kind of a joke akin to something you might see on Being the Elite, but here with the Inner Circle and Pinnacle, it seems kind of petty. It seems like something else could have... They, some This could have been better, I guess. The American Nightmare Cody Rhodes is out to make an announcement regarding his plans for Double or Nothing on Sunday night, May 30th. This is a huge meandering promo. The people in the building seem to like it, so you can't really hold it against him. Uh, he went over a number of topics here and not really making a point on any of them, in my opinion, uh, but basically announces that in his match against Anthony Agogo, which will be his match at the pay-per-view, he will be, for one night only, the American Dream, Cody Rhodes. Maybe that's tying into the Dustin thing I brought up earlier. We can all uh, call me Nostradamus if that ends up being the case. That uh, Cody Rhodes has preempted his brother by taking that name from their father. I don't know. I don't know. Brother versus brother. I mean, we've already done that. Uh, I don't know if you would do it on the back end or if if Dustin is maybe moving away from an on-screen role or from a wrestling role at his age. 
Maybe you are doing one more hurrah for Dustin and have him opposite Cody. I don't know. Uh, you could do the you could do the Return of the Jedi. We could have QT Marshall and Anthony Gogo and everybody standing over a beaten Cody. I'm talking months from now, like whenever this feud is done, and uh, Dustin turns and, and saves his brother, and and that's I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not my job. AEW Tag Team Champions, the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. Uh, with Impact's Don Callis and the Good Brothers versus the number one ranked SCU Fallen Angel Chris, uh, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian, and they lose. Uh, there, there's a great, uh, it's a great match. Uh, there's a lot of moves, there's a lot of history between these two teams that have allegedly fought dozens of times. Uh, but the issue with this match is uh, the ending isn't given enough time to breathe. Uh, the implication, which has been driven home for weeks and weeks and weeks, that if SCU loses, they will break up, uh, is basically glossed over here. And quickly, the announcers are saying, "We got, we got to go to the back. We got, we got to go to the back." It seemed like uh, something in production. There was a disconnect where it was like, "No, we we have some storytelling here in the ring. The the match is is over. Yes, uh, but there's a bigger implication of what that means for the two guys still in the ring." And we just cut to the back. Uh, so that's a bit of an issue. But the match was great. So. Uh, sorry to see, uh, we don't know if Christopher Daniels is now retired or, or what, uh, Frankie Kazarian obviously can have a bit of a singles run still in him, uh, or you can pair him with someone else in a tag team, I don't know, uh, but there's, there's still gas in the tank for that Frankie Kazarian, I think, and if it was Christopher Daniels' last match, uh, all the best to him, he's, that guy's been around forever, and he's fucking great, uh, Dasha interviews Christian Cage backstage, I don't remember this, uh, Matt Seidel interrupts him, and said there's no surprise for him. Next week, Seidel will be facing Christian Cage, blah, 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 something about Team Taz. Taz did one of his uh, little video vignettes where he talks about uh, people's offense. There haven't been one of these in a long time, and uh, we got less we got less Team Taz than ever before on these two episodes of Dynamite after seeing them consistently every week. We also didn't get Tony Schiavone interviewing Sting on either of these episodes, so, man, lots to, lots to fit in. AEW World Championship Eliminator match for number one ranked freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy versus number two ranked Pac, uh, who's joined by Pentel Zero Meow and uh, Ray Phoenix. Issue with this match, uh, the winner faces AEW World Champion uh, Kenny Omega at double or nothing. Kind of a slow-paced match to begin. However, uh, the issue comes where Orange Cassidy gets his bell rung at some point in this match. I don't know exactly when it was. And the match grounds to a halt as obviously they want to continue and have a, have a finish in this match. Uh, ultimately uh, results in a three-way, which I don't know if it was always the plan uh, for the pay-per-view. Orange Cassidy is allegedly okay, uh, but definitely there was something that happened in this match that kind of uh, ruined that last third of it, uh, to be completely honest with you. But I'm sure they will make up for it. If anything, uh, I'm concerned about it's not Pac and Orange Cassidy having a good match again someday. That's that's for goddamn sure. Uh, the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers saw what John Moxley and Eddie Kingston did to the Elite's private uh, dressing room. Young Bucks said next week they'll face the Varsity Blondes because the Bucks are fighting champions. Matt also invited John Moxley and Eddie Kingston to a superkick party at Double or Nothing. Uh, so is the program Moxley and Kingston versus Young Bucks at the pay-per-view? I missed that as well when I was watching this. Alex, Mar I wasn't paying as much attention as I was to Star Trek, evidently. Alex Marvez was backstage with Hangman Adam Page in the Dark Order. Page said uh, that he had a huge target on his back, and he took three guys took three guys for Brian Cage to beat him. Why don't you leave Taz and meet me one-on-one -on -one in the ring and earn your spot, Brian Cage? If I lose, I can accept it. For you, it's double or nothing. John Silver points out that's the name of the pay-per-view. Time for the coronation of the Pinnacle. MJF is wearing a crown. Tully Blanchard, Sean Spears, Dax Harwood, Cash, Wheeler, and Wardlow come to the ring to celebrate their victory at Blood and Guts. Bow to the Pinnacle. Bow to the biggest draws in professional wrestling. And you have us to thank for it. 
The inner circle are down two men, uh, one because he stabbed me, and the other because he tripped and took a fall. So why would they want a rematch? Would you people like to see a rematch? Are you sure? My answer is no. Tully Blanchard goes on to say some stuff here as well. And Horn interrupts the coronation. Sammy Guevara, Ortiz, and Jake Hagar are in a custom inner circle golf, golf cart. Chris Jericho appeared from a trailer that the golf cart was towing. Jericho asked Jericho asked Jericho again. I'm going to say that's MGF asked Jericho again. If the Pinnacle would like uh, to give the inner circle their rematch, MGF declined again. Sammy doused the Pinnacle with a little bit of the bubbly uh, that was spraying from the hose. And when I say a little bit of the bubbly, I mean a little bit of the bubbly. Because this was not... This is obviously going to be compared pretty pretty one-to-one with Steve Austin and the beer truck uh, thing, which had a lot of pressure, uh, which this did not, but God bless the pinnacle. Uh, they bumped and, and ran towards the thing so it could blow them over all the same. I don't think this looked as bad as some people claim, but it's another one of those fucking things that they're doing, the big angle, the big production thing uh, that has a lot of variables that I don't know if they're not testing or, or when it's live or when they're going to record it. It d- doesn't quite go the way they want, but... Make sure this shit works or you will get ripped apart by trolls, basically. Um, it, all eyes are on you. Uh, it, fucking WWE can put zombies in the match and have the wrestlers fucking kayfabe that the zombies are real. Miz is off TV with the explanation that he was eaten by zombies. It's fucking embarrassing. But it's WWE who's been fucking embarrassing for a long time, so they somehow get away with it. Uh, AEW, you don't get that. You don't get afforded that, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, they have crashed the coronation, said Tony Schiavone. You want a match? May 30th, double or nothing. We'll take you on in the same match you lost last year, Stadium Stampede. And if you guys lose, the inner circle will have to break up forever. And apparently, double or nothing, of course, is a full capacity event. So whether or not they do the Stadium Stampede, wrestling throughout the crowd uh, with all the people there, uh, we'll, we'll see. The gauntlet has been thrown down by MGF, said Excalibur. Earlier in the day, Jim Ross had a sit-down interview with Britt Baker, DMD, about her upcoming title shot against champion Hikaru Shida, taking place at double or nothing. Uh, Baker had some stuff to say about that. We got Thunder Rosa versus Jasmine Allure. Rosa wins here, getting a W in her column. Earlier in the day, Tony Schiavone interviewed Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill's still a little confused about uh, wanting a manager, not wanting a manager, uh, etc. She is that bitch. Uh, it was main event time, TNT title match, Darby Allen with Sting versus the best man, Miro. Miro takes Darby Allen apart before the bell's even able to ring. Uh, Darby decides, being Darby, that he's still going to wrestle, even though uh, he, he probably could have delayed the match, uh, which would not be a very babyface thing to do. But I digress. Uh, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky uh, get involved here at some point. The the run-ins and stuff during this match are maybe my only negative point out of it. Otherwise, I love Darby Allen. I like Miro. I want to love Miro. And uh, this was a really good match. There is a Tope Suicida here, um, or, or Tope something or other, by uh, Darby. Which is, you've probably seen the gif already. It was absolutely incredible. He ba- bounces off of his back and, and like a few feet away, he was going so fucking fast. Completely believable that Darby Allen can hold his own against Miro using his own body as a missile here. Uh, great match. Darby Allen is fantastic. Losing the title here doesn't uh, hurt him at all. I think you can do anything you want with Darby Allen uh, spinning out of this. And hopefully Miro goes on a fucking tear and just destroys a bunch of people defending that title. I don't know what the plan is. Uh, something is going to be going on with Lance Archer, I guess. Uh, my my feed cut out before I saw what this was going to be. But Ethan Page and the Scorpio Sky attacked Sting until Dark Order ran to the ring and forced them to retreat. The Murderhawk monster Lance Archer came up the ramp and pointed at the new uh, TNT Championship Miro. Champion Miro, while Jake's the Snake Roberts held Archer back. 
So I guess it's those two for the pay-per-view then. That was the Sultans of... That's going to do it for the show this week, everybody. Thank you again for hanging out uh, through the bye week there. Uh, if you want to reach our podcast, at Iceberg Podcast is us on Twitter. LeahTissyIceberg.com is our email address. Send questions, topics, anything you you want. Uh, if it's interesting enough, we might put it on the show, either on Tits of the Iceberg, new Tits of the Iceberg, which is usually on Tuesdays. This week it's on a Wednesday. And Public Beta Podcast, which is usually on Thursdays. This week it's on a Friday. Thank you for putting up with that schedule. And always for listening. That's just the tits.